soccer made easy for the typical American. I coach kids soccer and have for a few years now. I love my teams and for the most part love my parents that are piled along the sidelines screaming and cheering for their kids. Last season I had more than a few parents that assured me they just didn't understand the game. I will often hear the parents on the far sideline from me instructing their kids to do the wrong technique or skill. They are missing a key element of the sport and it is keeping them from enjoying sports at a higher level. First off, your kids love soccer and it may be the number one best sport for kids. You kids get out there and run after the ball for an hour, that'll tire you out. But a bit of understanding speeds the advancement of the kids skills as well as enjoyment of a beautiful game. Soccer is actually known as the beautiful game. Often this enjoyment is handicapped by a misunderstanding of the sport itself. Add to it the hyper-excited parents wearing parent goggles, demanding that their kid gets a fair shake at life. This leads to terrible advice from the sidelines and a confused look on the kids' faces, as well as way too many prematurely balding coaches throwing clipboards. And this is not unique to soccer, guys. My kids also play baseball, softball, football, surf, and do Ninja Warrior stuff, plus hundreds of other things. And I, even I am guilty of being that dad that will sometimes, in the heat of excitement, Shout out, go, at the exact time I should have shout, stop, while I'm out there cheering for my kids. The problem is, there are often times in sports where go is a terrible idea, and it sabotages the plans. For example, just last night I was at my daughter's softball game, and every single parent, one coach, and even a kid hyped up on caffeine on the adjacent field, yelled go, when a third baseman bobbled a ball. My daughter had just stolen third, and the catcher gunned it to the third baseman who dropped the ball as the slide came in. Everybody yelled, go, go, go home. You're not sure of my point? Exactly. The point is, that's really terrible advice. All the kid at third had to do was pick up the ball and throw it home. Science has proven a thrown ball travels much faster than a running kid, thus an easy out and a bad play. The teaching of poor techniques and poor understanding. Nowhere is this more obvious than soccer. I guess being born in the U.S. just predetermines us to being oblivious to how the sport works. That multiplied by, I'm not really sure what's going on out there. So leave it to me to fix this, just like I do for my kids' teams and the parents each and every fall and every single spring all over again. And I can fix this easily, as soccer is the easiest sport in the world to understand. Indeed, because of this seemingly inexplicable lack of understanding, last season I put together a little Soccer for Parents handbook to make it a little easier to understand and digest. In addition to being able to annoy your friends at work with your professed soccer knowledge, it will make you better soccer parents. As now, you will actually be yelling out correct things to your kids. Making better soccer parents is actually my number two bolded headline at the beginning of the season. I grew up a coach's kid and I'm a long-time sports practitioner. Nothing is more embarrassing and sad than the sports mom that doesn't have a clue as to what her kids have been doing the last nine years. So don't be that mom that just stands and claps and yells and then whispers to the person on her left, what just happened? And don't be that dad that says, back in junior high, I played soccer for a week in PE. Here's what I think they should do. So here goes. I've added a bit to my preseason handout, and with the World Cup and Champions League final just around the corner, I thought I'd share it in our own way and bring America back up to speed. Concept number one, soccer really is one of the easiest sports in the world to understand. As of the completion of today's article, you can no longer say, I just don't understand soccer. 
the rules go like this. Ball goes in a goal. It's a point. That's all. Well, okay, there's this. The team in blue goes this way, and the team in red goes that way. And if the ball goes out of bounds, you throw it back in. Now, here's where it gets a little crazy, so stay with me here. There are positions. Now, this isn't unique. In fact, every team sport I can think of has positions. I'm not sure why this is so difficult for soccer parents, but it's the most obvious mistake I see while watching parents when I should be watching their kids. You see, there are players that should be trying to move the ball towards the opponent's goal and score, and there are also positions that are set up to keep the other team from scoring. There's also positions specifically made to play a kind of in-between, a do-it-all, pass it here or there, and help out the defense, and sort of just figure out what's happening and make the work type of spot. As in most sports, they can collectively be broken down into offense and defense. And the go-between guy I was speaking about is called midfield. So please quit telling your kid to take the ball and score when that's not his position. I tell my 8-year-olds, there are two ways to win at soccer. Number one, score more goals. Number two, don't let the other team score. Both are equally important. Allow me to share a concept that really helped clear this up this season, especially to the parents. We know football here in Texas, so we'll start with that. And I'm going to use the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots and start making comparisons. The kids like this analogy as football is big time in Texas. They just got it. And they all laughed and the parents nodded in a light bulb above the head eureka moment of comprehension. For instance, are you aware that Tom Brady doesn't actually catch most of his own touchdowns? It's true. And yet despite having like only two or three catches for touchdowns in his lifetime, he is still quite famous and financially stable. It seems that the majority of what has made him the most popular football player in history on the planet is his ability to pass the ball, to see the entire field and pass the ball where it should go. In soccer, it's the same thing. The ability to pass is just an undertaught, underappreciated, and often neglected skill. Not because coaches don't know, but because parents don't know. You're not trying to sabotage the game. You're just looking at it wrong. Have you ever told your kid you'll give them $5 if they score? I tell my players, you know what, guys? Tell your parents you'll take 3 bucks every time you set up a score. You'll make a lot more cash. I hear my parents often shout, take the ball and score, and all kinds of shoot it, shoot it, despite being on the wrong part of the field and no matter how many opponents are running directly at them or guarding them. But hardly ever do I hear shouts of, hey, Pass to that poor kid standing all alone in front of a goal the size of the garage door that has an upwards of 99% chance of scoring even if he totally whiffs and the ball just bounces off any body part. But that's what we say as coaches. We say it all the time. If you get this concept down, this passing wins every single game ever concept, as a parent or a youngster playing the game, you immediately move up to the upper echelon. I see an insanely high amount of time spent on ball handling and skills and moves and cool YouTube tricks of amazing foot skills, but I really don't see much time spent just watching the game. Play the odds. Kids are like Labradors. They run to the ball. If seven players are running after you because you have the ball, you did a great job. That means there's someone unguarded on your own team right over there. Get the ball to her. The best players aren't the winners of the golden boot. The Golden Boots, the award that's often given at the end of the year, and it's for the kid that scored the most goals during the season. No, the best players are not the Golden Boot. The best players are the guys that get that kid the ball. That player is typically called MVP. 
Concept number two. Soccer isn't boring because it is low scoring. Soccer is tough. There's a goalie right there that can use his hands. A goal is unbelievable, but there is much more beauty and skill happening without goals being scored. As football fans, we all go nuts when a huge pass, when a receiver jumps 11 feet in the air and makes a one-handed grab, even when it wasn't for a touchdown but for, let's say, like a five-yard gain. Additionally, when a running back jukes the heck out of a monster trying to tackle him in a classic ankle breaker, and he leaves that poor sap grasping air and is gone in a poof, the entire wings and more section goes crazy like they just collectively hit the lottery. Basketball has the same thing. It has its behind-the-back passes, and baseball has the diving catch for a foul ball. All are equally crazy exciting, but often have not much bearing on the game's score at all. Heck, my kids scream like the 4th of July if they get a plastic water bottle to flip in the air and land on its bottom. The, the TV show Dude Perfect has made millions of dollars flipping bottles to land on their cap. Oh, dude, did you see that? Oh! Soccer has the exact same things happening. Ankle breaker moves, fake out passes, stop and goes, long bombs on the sideline, leaving the defender scrambling like it's a Chicago fire, and the goalie quite possibly peeing his pants a little. It's all right there happening, and yet we as American soccer watchers, we miss it. It's nothing if it's not a goal. If it's not a goal. We call it boring. Oh, come on. Get a little effy up in there and get excited already. Make your kids want to try a stop-and-go 360 burn. As a fan, stand up in slow motion replay excitement when a big arching pass goes high in the air with a huge curvy bend and your little girl catches a ball with her foot. Her freaking foot like Odell with a sticky glove. That's excitement, y'all. It's up to you to create it and to fill it. I'm 100% sure most of my parents look at each other with confused eyes when, as a coach, I lose my mind in excitement and cheering and run down the sidelines when one of my kids does some cool soccer concept, like a backwards negative pass or a 1-2, which is like a give-and-go in basketball. Even when it doesn't score, I love it. Hey, and a side note on the backwards negative pass, this is a huge development for soccer kids. It's a tough concept. In essence, it is no different than a center in basketball passing the ball back outside to a guard at the three-point line because the inside's too congested. It's simply a reset. It's, hey, let's take another look at the field with less pressure and work our way back in again. My good friend Joe Casey relates that when he started refing and a team would drop a ball back, parents would inevitably start screaming, no, no, that's the wrong way, wrong way. It drove him nuts. Parents, don't be such a noob. That's how you play the game. The new techniques and developments are what is fun about the game. It's the same as a no-look pass in hoops or a sack in football. It is the cool part of the game. It takes a lifetime to get down. Even the world's best pros will never master it. So number three, speaking of basketball, let me get this out there. If you know hoops, you know soccer. We already spoke about the negative pass, but I'm telling you, everything in these two sports matches up. It's nearly an identical sport, and this concept really helps parents and kids get it. Bring the ball down the court. Sometimes slow and controlled with one main guy taking his time. Run predetermined plays and changing positions based on that play. Sometimes it's big fast breaks with big passes down the sidelines, trying to catch the other team being lazy or caught out of position. In both sports, the main play is to attack from the outside to the inside, where the biggest, tallest kid or in soccer, the kid with the best developed skills will put the ball in the hoop. But occasionally, you may pass it in from the top of the key to the inside. You have to work your way in there. To get there, you might have to set screens or run two or three passes or picks and rolls or gives and goes. 
Sometimes you're going to set up outside and pop the long ball. A three-pointer in hoops is a 40-footer in soccer. It's the same thing. The big mistake I see in youth soccer is in front of the goal. It just gets too crowded and too congested. My wife literally has hundreds of pictures of five of our team's kids all lined up in front of the other team's goal with seven of the other team's kids right up there in front with them trying to keep it out. Every parent and coach is screaming, kick it in, kick it in, or kick it out, kick it out. And there's three quarters of all the players from both teams standing so close I could put a hula hoop around them. Last night on an NBA game, I heard the announcer point out the exact same concept. There were six players in the paint. That equals no baskets. Same game, same concept. In the younger kids game, there are less three-pointers and long balls because their skills and their muscles have not got to that point yet. So yeah, the stuff you see on TV doesn't work in the kids' games. In both sports, actually most sports, especially during the younger years, often it's just the best kid on the team taking it and doing it all on his own. You've been there. On my soccer team, there are kids that are just a bit more developed and into the game. On my kids' basketball team, there's one kid that is such a standout, he scores half the team's points. So yeah, get that kid the ball. But by no means think that is how we want to coach it or view it as a game develops and they get older and obtain more skills. At first, just getting a kid to pass the ball when the other team is running to press is huge. It's an accomplishment. The ability to dribble with both feet and then look up and then kind of develop a strategy based on things that happen, that takes experience and time. These concepts will go forward in all sports. But then by high school, there should be some quick one, two, three passing, some three-pointers, and some kids ripping the ball from a long ways away when left unguarded. If you know hoops, you know soccer. See, I told you you knew this sport, and I could explain it easy. Concept number four, soccer has a secret code. Because the powerhouses of soccer are not here in the good old USA, but rather in Europe and South America, you just need to speak the code. Soccer coaches and... Oh, God, hardcore soccer fans, they're just a little peculiar. And they love the shroud of mystery and intrigue. They love more than anything else to annoy their non-soccer understanding friends and colleagues. I equate this to my Mexican-speaking friends, specifically Steve Tiarina, whom when I ask, Hey, Steve, how do you say blank in Spanish? Immediately, he puts on an incredibly hard accent and verbalizes in lightning speed. Cumpleaños? And I say, what was that? And he says, but like crazy faster than that. And so I say, yeah. And he's like, Kappa. I'm like, come on, Steve, help me here. Just write it down. He's like, sorry, dude, I got to run. Sucker. I'm pretty sure Steve has just been making up stuff for two decades around me. Anyway, sorry, I got off a little bit there. But soccer fans are weird like that. They just like to be. Even American soccer fans take on the European soccer terminology because, well, they're soccer fans. They love to be different. So here's a few trade secrets, the secret code. Remember, remember, it's mostly European. Down here in Texas, we even have way more terms to learn because of our connection to the Mexican Soccer League, but this article is dragging on long enough already, so stick with the basics. Shoes are often called boots. So tie your shoes would thus be translated lace your boots. The score zero equals nil. Sidelines are called touch lines. The field is called a pitch. Refs are called officials. Teams are called clubs. And tournaments are often called cups. The rest of the world calls soccer football, as in FC after a lot of the team names. That equals football club. Oftentimes, there is no championship game. You just play everyone. You keep track of wins and losses. And at the end of the season, the team with the best record wins. 
unless they're all tied in wins and losses after an entire 50-season game. And it always ends in a tie due to some crazy contract with the soccer gods of antiquity. So when it inevitably does end in a tie, then you go by a tiebreaker that soccer weirdos call a goal differential. Basically, it's how many goals did you score versus how many did you let in for the year. Ah, so that's why the coach is so crazy about only getting beat 0-2 versus 0-4. Or why when your kid's team is up 6-0, the crazy coach loses his mind when he gives up a goal in the last 30 seconds. And why the weakest kid on the team never gets to try goalie, even when it's a blowout. See, it all makes sense now. It's easy. All right, parents, I'm done with part one. Everything I've just gone over was for you, the parents. You're up to date. Now you know. So you can stop. The next part is part two. Part two is for the intrigue. So if you want a bit more, by all means, proceed with me. Part two is about the game, the professionals, the big time, the million-dollar athletes, World Cup, Premier, Champions League. Let's start. World Cup is easy. Basically, it's like the Olympics. All the teams are from a certain country, so it's incredibly easy to understand. The Nigerians are playing the Italians. The Russians play the Koreans. Schools and businesses stop because their country is playing. The political parties and the different ethnics and the rich and the poor, they all cheer together and they sing fight songs against a common enemy for the next two hours. And the earth is perfect. It's national anthems, it's pride, it's flags. Go USA! We all get that. World Cup is my favorite. Now the sticky icky. And full disclosure here, I just figured all this stuff out last week. The pro leagues. There's a ton of pro leagues, Turkish leagues, Mexican, American leagues. Basically, every country has its own pro leagues. So let's just take Europe on for our example today. The European leagues are the best that the earth has to offer. They are the big dogs. Take the Brits, for example. The English league is extremely popular and is big-time top-level pro soccer. Teams like the Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool. You've heard of these teams before, even if you've never watched them. This is akin to the NFL, NBA, or Major League Baseball of soccer. The English league is called the Premier League. And just like every pro sport, they get their players from anywhere and everywhere, and they pay top dollar for it. Yeah, the players are not actually from their respective team cities. That's just the home team. And that's no different than the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros are not by all means from Houston at all. There are guys from New York and Cali and Dominican and Japan, yet they are all in the Astros, and the city of Houston loves them. So all these English pro teams play each other. There are 20 teams in the Premier League, but here's what's cool. There are way more than 20 teams vying for those 20 spots. You have to qualify for the Premier League the year prior. Only the top 20 teams in all of England make the big time based on how they finished the year before. The Premier League is the top tier and everybody wants to be in it. I'd put it like this. It would be like if every major city in the U.S. had a pro baseball team and Major League Baseball only took the top 30 teams from the year before. So, of course, you'd always have your Yankees and your Dodgers and your Red Sox, but how cool would it be if the Corpus Christi Nachos made it to the MLB for one year or the Toledo Spitfires? How cool would it be if the Cubs played so crappy they were kicked out for a season? It's just really, really cool. So there's your Premier League season. You pick your favorite team and you go for it. I picked Liverpool based solely on their giant chicken-like bird on their jersey. It's called the Liverbird. Awesome. But wait, there's more. Soccer is worldwide. It's not just in England. 
Other countries are at least as good as the Brits, and most of the planet would argue even better. So then there is the Champions Cup. Note here, the term cup is often substituted for league as well as for tournament. So we're at the Champions Cup, the best teams in the entirety of Europe. Hundreds of years of kings and queens and wars and land disputes and the feudal system and generations of bragging rights. These players are from everywhere and are all the big-time pros from all over the globe. Much like only the top 20 teams made the English big-time, only the top four teams in the Premier Cup we just discussed even go on to make the Champions Cup. Every country sends its best couple teams. Some countries get four teams in, some only get two, some get one. It's just based on how competitive their own country's pro leagues are. Only the best make it to the Champions League. It is a huge accomplishment just to qualify and win it all. And to win it all is to be the best the world has to offer. It is huge. Worldwide, crazy fans and screaming babies huge. Because now, your city, one of the top teams in your country, can take on the other teams from the other cities and other countries. It's like, the nachos win the series. The Corpus nachos win the series. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get from kid soccer, where it looks like landmines are going off and kids are exploding and falling down with no one around them, to Lamborghini-driving gazillion-dollar athletes and crazy face-painted streakers. Okay, one more thing. Brace yourself. The Premier League, England's League, and the Champions League, all of Europe's League, are happening at the same time. I know, it's crazy. Yes, it's crazy. But it's simple in its concept. My very own newfound favorite team, Liverpool, uh, birds, I guess, they could compete on a Wednesday in the Premier League and on a Saturday in the Champions League. How they do on Wednesday in the Premier Cup affects it if they make it to the top four and subsequently get to play in the Champions League the next season. I, and now you, know they made it in the top four last year because they actually are indeed playing Saturday against a European powerhouse in the Champions League. That was my hang-up. What? The what? My wife, as I've mentioned in previous articles, has a knack for summaries. Her response is bullseye genius and perfect. Here's how it went. Chad, your son played in fifth grade basketball for this year for his school. At the same time, he played fifth grade basketball in the parochial league. It's two leagues. It's on a different day. It's at the same time of the year. It's not that hard to digest, Dr. Peters. Anyway, Liverpool plays for the Champions League title on June 1st. They just happen in all the strange coincidences that make soccer unnecessarily confusing to be playing another of the top four English teams for the championship of the world in the Premier League. No, in the Champions League. Much to the display of the rest of Europe and guys like us who are just trying to figure this stuff out. So basically, four teams made it from the English Premier League to go on, and two of those four just so happened to make it all the way to the championship of the big leagues. It's sort of like when the Yankees and Mets played in the Subway Series and the rest of the U.S. just hated on New York for hogging baseball. That's all. In summary, cheer right, cheer often, know your game. Talk strategy stolen from other sports and know your Premier League and Champions League like a boss, and you've just caught up with every other country on the third planet from the sun and their love for the round ball. I hope this helps, guys. Get in the game.